It's trending towards a phenomenon as keyboard music is becoming Pavlovian to goaltenders around the world. Those electronic key sounds, you know, it's time for In Goal Radio, the podcast. Presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard, back in the Cree studio for episode 11. We follow up that all-emotional Clint Millarczyk interview with an extended conversation with one of the most cerebral goalies to play in the National Hockey League, Ryan Miller. I'm not going to lie to you. It's an interview that I've listened to three times to absorb all of what Ryan said. And I say that as a compliment because Ryan approaches the position from the simplest and yet complicated angles, and he does it at the same time. We also spent some time on the Warrior brand in this week's gear segment, turning the net over to Cam at the Hockey Shop, source for sports, uh, thehockeyshop.com. We also go NCAA style on In Goal Radio. As always, the podcast dressing three goaltenders as we bring in the founders of In Goal, Dave Hutchison, the voice of reason, and Kevin Woodley, who supplies the emotion during our process. That's another shot at you. Yeah, I know. I'll take them. I'll take them. I I am quite glad, actually, that you said you had to listen to Ryan three times, though, because to be honest with you, um, this is what I loved about conversations with him when he was here. Um, There were times I needed to go home, listen to the answers and process them before I could respond. Uh, He really is a guy who thinks the game at a deep level. And there are things that we didn't even have time to get into because time was running short. Uh, The way he takes care of his body, like he's been ahead of the curve on everything from equipment to foam rolling. Um, You know, since he was in college, just when we talk about students of the position, I think he's number one on that list. Like he's the ultimate when it comes to studying every little aspect, no stone unturned in terms of ways to be better. And yet he manages to go out there when he's playing and not overthink. It's a really cool juxtaposition. Uh, Hutch, we also have our very popular In Goal Radio listener questions. It should probably be named after you because it was your plan. And uh, I know it's your favorite part of the segment, the Millard listener questions. <laughs> it is. I, I'm, I'm going to get one in there, too. Like, I'm going to write you guys and see if you will select my listener with, question. Yeah, with a fake name, and we won't know it was you. You can just send it on Twitter under <laughs> using one of your burner accounts. We all have those, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, just just a couple. Uh, I, I looked at the gear review for Warrior at thehockeyshop.com. Uh, that's the site that's brought me in tune with uh, with your reviews, uh, Woody. And, and I'm almost to the point between the reviews at thehockeyshop.com and you and Cam chatting. I'm almost there where I understand about 60% of what you guys are talking about. It's true goalie geekdom. See, Ryan Miller would be there at about 100%. And yet, the hockey shop, I believe it was two or three years ago, got a set of Ryan Miller's returns, pro returns, the Vons. And he has so many custom specs in that pad that even they were left with their jaw on the floor in terms of figuring out all the little tweaks and angles that he had into into his Vaughn pads. Uh, but this week, uh, getting to be there in person with Cam, uh, we went over the Warrior RGT2 line. Um, and of course, that means the RG, uh, one, RGT1 line will be on sale soon. Actually, it is already on sale. So make sure you head to thehockeyshop.com. Uh, check out the sales. Check out their review of the RGT2. If you listen 
to our gear segment and you're left with more questions uh, and it's not answered in the review, it probably will be. But if it's not, just call them directly. Check out, find the links at thehockeyshot.com. Uh, for me, I'm lucky. I, they're in my backyard, right? I get to go there all the time, get to do these weekly segments with Cam. And it's kind of like a little goalie heaven, the hockey shop source for sports in Surrey. All my gear needs, whether it's getting my skate sharpened, finding a new stick, getting some tape, getting some spray to make sure my gear doesn't stink, uh, all kinds of cool little goalie things that they order. We're going to be featuring a, for lack of a better term, a goalie specific with special padding batting glove. If you want to go full Henrik Lundqvist, you want to go full, full Tuka Rask, they've, they've discovered one uh, at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com uh, that really is perfect for goaltenders. We'll profile that shortly. Um, they've got all the new lines. They'll have the new CCME Flex 4 on the, on, on the rack before the end of the month. Uh, custom orders on CCM, Vaughn, Warrior, Brian's, all the top brands, Bauer. Uh, it really is like a little slice of goalie heaven. So if you're in the lower mainland in Vancouver, check out the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey. And if you can't make it out in person, make sure you check them online at thehockeyshop.com. Reach out to them. We've had a few listeners uh, who have actually reached out to us and told us they purchased gear and did it based on conversations online and over the phone with the staff there, Cam and Dawson and that crew. And the experience has been exceptional, which matches what I've experienced in person over the years. So check them out. Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, thehockeyshop, all one word, dot com online for all your goaltending needs. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, their picture of the EX4, for set up uh, on their homepage is just, I fell in love with it. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I started drooling. Uh, next week, a discussion about uh, goalie story of the year. I want to throw that one uh, out at you guys and give you guys a full week and the listeners as well uh, to think about this one and send us uh, what you think is the goalie story of the year. Uh, return of the backup goalie towel has to be up there, Hutch. Oh, it, it has to be. Jor- Jordan Bennington as well. Carter Hart. Parody at the position. Uh, the season played without a truly dominant performance compared to the pack. Uh, there, there's a few things to choose from, Hutch. Between listener questions and backup towels, you're just driving the goalie universe this year, Derek. <laughs> hey, we, so, we had a backup towel in the NHL over the weekend. Uh, Landon Bow called up with the injury to Ben Bishop. Not only did he have the towel on in Vancouver, unfortunately, I couldn't get a photo for us because instead of sitting on the bench, he sat in the tunnel on a chair and surrounded by high-priced season ticket holders. And my photographer was on the other side of the rink, and you, there's just no angle for him to get a shot from there. So it was quite frustrating because I'm like, all right, we got a backup towel in the NHL. And there was no way for me to get an image of it. The good news is I was in the locker room pregame skate talking to Landon, and I have a video that will launch this week. He showed us how he gets the proper roll and tuck on his backup oh, towel. go. There you go. Lessons nice. from the pros. Important lessons from and the And where pros. will that video be? Uh, probably be on our social media channels, In Goal Mag on Instagram and <laughs> In Goal Media on the Twitters. Somebody's trying to keep up with Hutch or, or measure up the Hutch with the uh, the big voice uh, radio read. <laughs> hey, uh, we also have a, a developing story, and that could be the goalie story of the year revolving around the, the exit of a legend, although I'm not quite sure. Uh, whether he's he's ready to go or not. What's the the latest on 
our first guest on on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Yeah, right? obviously Roberto Luongo in the news, making headlines um, across the country this weekend. In part because he went through Toronto, so did all the Toronto media. And in part because the possibility of him retiring could affect another Canadian team, the Vancouver Canucks, in terms of the cap recapture penalty uh, that was put in for backdiving contracts like his. Listen, I've said for years. The reality is he could have quit two years ago and called it LTIR and nobody would have to worry about cap recapture punishment. Um, the amount of work, and I got to see it firsthand in person when I was there in Florida with him over the summer to watch his training and be on the ice with him uh, and see some of that firsthand. The, the amount of work he has to put in on a daily basis to keep going is... Is is exceptional, and it also shows his passion for the game. But it's also the kind of thing where you could you could say like, "Listen, I can manage this injury, but no one has to." This could qualify for LTIR, much like Marion Hosa did uh, with the skin rash. But in terms of him actually wanting to be done, um, I just don't see it. Uh, I believe he wants to keep playing. I know this hasn't been the season uh, that he envisioned, but there's been some really good stretches in there when he's healthy. When they haven't. To be frank, played him into the ground early in the year. He was good, and then as they overplayed him, uh, the numbers slipped. I think you see the quotes this week, and he recognizes he's not a 50- or 60-game guy. But I was a little surprised to see, and this was the one question where I honestly didn't have an answer. I believe he wants to play as long as he can. His passion for the game is you know, sort of unmatched, frankly, of all the people I've met in 20 years doing this job. I wasn't sure if the, the all the work he had to do to play um, – if he would be interested in doing that as a backup goaltender, I really wasn't sure. Okay, what's a backup in in the sense of number of games twenty that to would keep him happy? Twenty five. Well, I haven't had that conversation, but I think in most people's minds these days, like take a look at it. There are only a handful of guys that are even going to hit the sixty mark this year. Like a backup's playing twenty five thirty in most situations, so twenty five thirty games. But you got to still do all the work he has to do every day to get out there and go ready for, can get ready for practice, right? You can't skip the work. Every time he goes on the ice, every time he has an off-ice workout, he has to do this routine. So you don't get to skip it just because you're not starting. You still have to do it. And I, and I wondered, honestly, like, is, would that be enough for him to want to keep going? But he answered that question this week. He told Pierre Lebrun in Toronto that he was okay with being, you know, he's not with, with not being the number one guy. And so to me, I hear that. And I know what I know in terms of, of of him wanting to keep playing. And I don't know that I see a guy who wants to retire. And yet everything you hear out of Florida is this may be a guy they may subtly be pushing out the door to make room for a couple of free agent signings. Because if you're going to get Bobrovsky and you're going to get Panarin, uh, you know, you can't really afford to have a 5.3 or I guess the Canucks are eating 800000 So $4.5 million cap hit on your aging backup goalie. So I'm really curious to see where this goes. I will tell you this, all the people, and I've heard a few pundits out there going, oh, we saw this coming. As soon as the contract back dove down to, I think it's 1.6 next year and then 1 million over the final two, uh, he was going to quit. That's, well, it wasn't a stretch to go there. No, though. It wasn't absolutely, a it to- wasn't a stretch. But for him, it's also not accurate to say that's just the default. He could have hung him up this year. He could have hung him up last year and continue to get paid. You watch what he went through to keep playing on a day-to-day basis, and this is not about I'm not getting paid anymore. Um, that passion, I don't think, has has wavered. And 
when he says he's willing to be a backup and he does this work and you see the performances he's still capable of turning in this week, couple of beauties. Um, yeah, like the two sides don't seem to be completely on the same page and I'm really curious to see where this right. goes. Because he's... We'll explore He's, that he is a little bit 600 further. saves away. And I know he doesn't care about this, frankly. We've had this discussion. I think I actually may have alerted him to it, being the one that alerted him to it. He's closing in on on one record that uh, I think those of us who know him would like to see him get, even if he's not worried about it. 600 saves away from the most in the history of the game. Uh, from catching Marty Berdur for he will never catch him for wins or starts, but the most saves in the history of the game, he's a good twenty to thirty games away from passing that. Well, it depends on what kind of team they have. Well, in too. Florida, the answer is usually get, might be able to get him yeah, fifteen. Yeah, a couple. Of, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, Florida Panthers. Uh, we will continue to follow uh, that story and approach it uh, as we discuss our goaltender story of the year and we'll dive into that uh, a little bit more next week in goal radio the podcast humbled to welcome in record-breaking ryan miller to the show uh, from college standout to buying his time in buffalo before becoming arguably the best in the world for a time and then it stops in st louis vancouver and now anaheim miller has produced a career that could do all the talking for him but uh, when he felt the need miller hasn't been shy about voicing his own opinion woody off the ice, he is a legendary gear guy, perhaps the last one in the spirit of Ed Belfour, and you had a chance to catch up with him. So I just want to talk about this year and obviously start with as much as you're still in the year and still playing. That was a pretty big milestone to pass John Van Beesbrook to be the number one American-born goaltender and wins. What, have you thought? Have you had a chance to think about, it or is that for after the season? I mean, I identified it as something attainable and a while ago, and you know, I, I think about it in context of you know, it's it's just been a little bit surreal. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, my cousin Kelly was rooming with John when they were in the Rangers together, and we had stopped out there to see the Rangers play Edmonton. And then we were continuing on to see the Michigan State Spartans play when they won the national title in, in uh, 86. Was, uh, I want to say it was in like Providence or something like that. Uh, so it was like a hockey weekend with my dad, and we stopped out there. And, you know, we're at Kelly and John's place in New York City, and then we watched the game. So it's just from being like five years old then till you know, have that, you know, kind of that close association where some someone I interacted with as a kid and you know on a hockey trip with my dad, and then to have you know uh, you know something like this kind of work out where you know it's, it's that's the guy I'm able to push past it, you know for uh, an American record. It's, it's pretty cool. Talk about the family, obviously. I mean, I had to write it down just to have all the names in front of me. Kelly, Kip, Kevin, all the Michigan State guys. But I wondered, amidst all that, how did you end up in goal? I just was drawn to it, I guess. My dad would always say, you know, I'd be watching games, sitting next to him or, like, on his lap. He'd be trying to show me things, like, at the Michigan State hockey games or whatever hockey we're watching live. I'd always just, my head would just kind of turn, 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 turn towards the goalie, and then he'd have to, like, ratchet it back like a cartoon. Like, no, the puck's over here. And I'd be looking at the, the goalie, and, you know, he kind of had 
in his head that, you know, he's a little too interested in the goalie, and he kind of went the other direction trying to get me interested in everything else about hockey. But I was always kind of brought back to it to the point where, you know, I I had to force my way in. I had, I was playing forward. I was playing in uh, Santa Clara, uh, California area. My dad, you know, wor worked on both coasts at certain, when I was younger in the computer software industry, and we just happened to be in California at the time, San Jose, Santa Clara area, and, you know, I kind of forced his hand and let me try and play goalie. So I had to get, like, three goals and three assists after I had, a, like, a little sit-down strike. So that's kind of how I fell into it, and I just was always kind of into the gear and watching the guys, how they moved differently and how they were figuring out how to stop the puck. And so, like, the watching that, that's what drew you to it, which is just – Everything, yeah. even and what age was this when you when you, you finally changed his mind? It's probably like eighty seven, eighty eight. So I was like eight years old, uh, where I finally got that real shot at trying it. So uh, I didn't play organized forward that long. You know, I, I kind of jumped in when I was about probably eight years old, more full time, nine. So who are the guys growing up? Who are the guys that you really looked up to? And at what point, it sounds like pretty early for you, yeah. you were emulating them, trying to do what they were doing actually on the ice. Yeah, I mean, was, a lot of it was the Spartan guys. So you're talking like Bob Essence, uh, Norm Foster, you know, those guys. And even like the the mystique of like Ron Scott, you know, I, who I was probably a little young to appreciate. But, you know, it's a, another guy sat and got to watch when I was really young and and then you know just being a hockey family and my cousins were uh, coming up uh, pushing their way in the NHL Kelly started like 84 so paying attention to the goalies he played with so you know like Van Beesbrook and some of the guys uh, in that era but I really didn't identify as much until like you know Curtis Joseph and Brodeur you know after I played goalie for a while it's like oh those guys you know I like what they do, and like Brodeur, just breaking in the league kind of the way he did at a young age, it seemed like he was, you know, I, it was just like, oh, if he can do it at that age, you know, it's a little bit inspiring, you know. I, I mean, Barrasso did it at 18, but a little bit earlier, and uh, I didn't have the sense to appreciate it at that time. I was too young, but, uh, you know, Brodeur was like right in that sweet spot when he kind of got in. I was, you know, a teenager and kind of like, wow, that's He's a teenager, you know, getting his first games. You know, he's barely even 20 years old. And, you know, so it felt more relatable. What about, like, what's your history with goalie coaching? Obviously, I know once you turn pro, but uh, there were guys before that. Um, you know, we've seen it shift. I mean, yeah. kids have goalie coaches at such a young age. What about you? Like, and when you see that, what do you think of it? And what was your experience? And, and what advice, I guess, you know, multi-part question, but for parents now that are, you know, being – push to make sure they have a guy at a really young age what kind of advice would you get well for me it was all emulation and you know when I showed I was serious enough about it my dad got me some goalie camps in the summer and it was more about observations of the coaches around me until I got to be about 16 I, I had gone to Sault Ste. Marie to find a midget team to play for there was a shake-up in Michigan hockey the leagues were shifting and uh, I had played for Compuware and Bantam, and that shift to midget, uh, or it's like midget minor for Compuware, and then the, so the major team, I needed a, a place to play. Went to Sault Ste. Marie, and uh, they had a guy named Terry Barbeau, uh, who coached in 
uh, the different junior leagues, OHL and, and some of the uh, tier two leagues. And uh, fell in with him and somehow got along with his grumpy demeanor. <laughs> but he's a fun guy, actually. You know, but on the ice, he's all business and uh, had a lot of fun uh, getting to know him. But for that first month or so, he was trying to get a lot of that emulation and the, my habits out of me where I would, I would see cut a lot because I was smaller. And you know, when I was 16, I think my driver's license, I was like 5'8". And uh, you know, I, was pro I might have been 120 pounds. So, I mean, I didn't have a lot of strength in my game. I had a lot of uh, thinking through the process of the game and, and trying to get speed and... and using the speed of like skating to make up for lack of strength. So I, I had a style for sure, but I, it was sloppy and it allowed a lot of holes. So we spent like the first month doing like one drill and I thought Terry was crazy and I didn't know if it was going to work out, but he got some of the habits of not being square to the puck out of my game due to some of those big C cuts or, you know, shifting my weight to bring momentum back into the play. and. Uh, when I got being squared down, it opened up the world of goaltending where I could do a lot more. And we started checking the boxes and you know, doing this skill, that skill, and, and working through the midget into my first year junior. It sounds, though, like as a, as a younger goalie, you have had to, playing that way, really learn to read the game and develop the instinctual side. And I think, you know, again, I'm not sure where I come out on this, but w one of the things we hear from other goalies is they see goalie coaching and that technical coaching at a younger and younger age is man, these kids don't develop that on their own the way it sounds like you did. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I've gone through some pretty big stylistic changes of the way the game's played around, around me over the years. And I think the biggest thing is reading the game never really changes, you know, once you get an idea of what the game can unfold in front of you like and, and tendencies guys have and how they present themselves in certain situations. I mean, that starts to become the stuff that gets you through. And, uh, you know, a perfect save technique isn't going to mean a lot if the guy makes a good shot, but, you know, the sloppiest save technique that sees that shot coming can make a save on it. So um, I'm always trying to be aware of my technique, but I also want to have the freedom to make a read in the play and and if I mess up I mess up like I've had some pretty memorable mess ups and I made the wrong call and uh, that's the game but uh, but again like I remember when you first came here talking about sometimes dictating plays with uh, you know aggression on purpose in certain situations for I mean just that's just one example not just being the guy that's passive back there and waiting for everything to come at you at all times. There are yeah. situations where that's part of it, but, but you've never really lost that. No, I, I mean, I think you see guys who have some longevity in the game, you know, their ability to make guys uh, uncomfortable is part of that. Uh, it's, not, it's not always going to be a perfect save situation. It's not going to play out that way. So you just have to be... Uh, uh, playing hockey like you can't just be so different and outside of the sport that you're a goalie and you're on straight lines and you're you know there's importance to technique and squaring up to the puck and and being in good position to start the play but for sure you have to be uh, a hockey player too and that's always something that I think gets lost is people 
start to not associate goalies with being hockey players. You know, you're doing something else, but you know, you're a hockey player. You're making plays on the ice. You're trying to interact with the game. So, um, you know, you have to always kind of remember that. And yet, you've never ab abandoned the search for efficiency. Like, would you like at this point now, watching your game over the past couple of years, still? Like that efficiency, has it ever been better? And yet you don't lose that other side either. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be as quiet as possible. And there's been some things in the game that have kind of come to light where, you know, you're, it's easier to move and get into plays when you you don't have to be so forcefully engaged in the play. You know, then you're really having to turn and rotate your body and get yourself like flinging like all of your equipment and your whole body into the play. That takes a lot of strength and momentum to do that under control, and then you're probably going to have to stop all of that momentum somewhere to get in the way of the puck. So uh, doing that in an efficient way when you can set it up you know, the right way is, is, uh, is critical. But then from there, I mean, I mean what's better, making a save that's you know, the lower percentage save or, ma or making a guy miss with a little bit of a, you know, a smart interaction with him uh, where you still have a save skill in your back pocket. And so maybe making a miss is the first choice, and you still have that opportunity to make the save. So you're trying to, you know, always make the shooter uncomfortable. When you talk about one of those examples, do you mean like being, like, locked in a little bit? Like when you talk about exerting energy, like we've seen some guys, we've seen across the league guys start to get a little narrower, a little more relaxed in that stance. I mean, Jacob, a guy you played with here, seems to have really benefited from not being so low and wide and locked in and, and tense, for lack of a better term. Is that part of those trends you're talking about? Or? Yeah, I think I just kind of did it naturally. <laughs> I, for some reason, I look back on some old video and some, actually it's funny, it's like people had tried to break down my game and in old like publications and they would comment how like I carried myself really high and really straight through the head and neck and and like all of a sudden, I just kind of was like, like laughing because I was like, well, maybe I stumbled onto it by accident because it's just kind of the way I, my eyes work, you know, like that, you know, I don't actually have to really bring my head down to track. You know, my eyes kind of sit, you know, uh, a little differently. It's something that, you know, as I worked with, you know, like Alex Hall when I was here, I'd work with him a little bit and, you know, and, uh, you know, we were trying to do that you know, tracking down stuff and, what we found is I kind of did it naturally, but I, it was not as obvious the way my equipment fits me and the way my head and posture is that I'm doing it the exact same way. It's just you don't see it happening the same way. So it, it was kind of interesting that how I you were already there. I feel like I was kind of already doing it. It worked for me. So that's another kind of thing. It's like you don't always have to be into the fad of, you know, you have to kind of find what works, which is why it's good to concentrate and practice get on the ice and, and just work through the stuff that uh, uh, you think is going to work for your game. There's there's a lot of different save selections now. There's a lot of different things that can can work for a goalie. and it, it's, it's not going to be right for everybody. Last one, I want to talk about gear because I know you're meticulous about it. We could probably do another whole segment on this one day. but time. The bus is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I screwed you on the bus. I might have to offer you a ride, except I'm in a rental car. It's not pretty right now. Um, what... Uh, like, do you, like, go, like did, was the fascination you talked about it always there? Do you have a favorite piece as a kid? Yeah. Was it something you got as a present or something that you were like a first pro piece? Or I, I think your parents probably all, once you were in goalie, I remember you saying you, yeah. you, you had good equipment. But. 
yeah, my parents are great about it. I mean, once they figured out I put my my time in, the work in, and I wanted to do it, I was serious, and you know, they were good about always getting me what I needed. But that said, I was already, you know, taking apart stuff and making it better. And my favorite projects were like uh, I'd build my own chest protectors, so to speak. Like I'd added you know, my own shoulder floaters, you know, even in, like, midgets and juniors and, um, or, like, just getting hit on the index finger, like, I don't know if younger goalies would even appreciate this, but, like, back in the day, there was, like, no finger protection at all. There was, like, there's actually gloves that didn't even have it. It's just, when you bend your fingers, it's just there. It's, like, you're not supposed to get hit there, so why put a pad there? So, um, one of my favorite projects I did was I took, uh, foam and plastic you know my dad had old equipment sitting around I used to just carve it up you know I'd steal it all <laughs> and I mean he had his stuff for men's league but it's just like just random stuff sitting around I just take it and I take pieces I needed and I built a whole finger protector that was like curved it sat on the stick the right way and like I had it dialed in I had raided my mom's sewing kit and I got all her elastic and I had taken home economics class so I knew how to do certain kind of knots and quilting needles and like all this stuff and I had like all this stuff and I, you know, I built this whole inner hand protection for my like old Bond blocker, like it, like I think it was in juniors because I just kept getting hit. So that was kind of like the bug was, you know, if I didn't see something that was working for me and it wasn't in the marketplace, you know, I was just gonna take care of it. Build it yourself. Yeah. So that was like the fun part of it for me and. Has that continued? Because I, I mean, and, and you obviously have to be careful. Everything has to be approved by K. But we've seen you take pieces home and tinker here and there. You, you're maybe the most meticulous about your gear of anybody in the league right now. Is is do you wear that with pride? Yeah, it's changed though. It, I've I've had to get away from it. I've, I've modernized a lot of stuff, and in the modernization, that a lot of the stuff I was looking for has kind of come around. So you know, just ahead of the curve. Well, I mean. You wait long enough, something will come around. But like, but for example, my glove, uh, I cannot get out of my glove. Just the shape of it, the thumb shape, all that stuff. Uh, I was just, I've been trying to get more modern and save my hand because it, it's to the point where the shape of my glove is, is not very good for the, you know, the future of my hands. <laughs> you mean in terms of the way it closes, or is it flat and there's a lot of impact? Just a lot of impact on the, th just in like the thumb area, but it. it I just know how to catch with it. But I would prefer to have something more rounded off, but it's more flat, and that's what I'm used to. Just back in the day when you only could count on getting, like, two gloves a year max, so you had to really just wear one for a while. Like, that's that's where that kind of comes from. Guys get a lot more gloves these days. Yeah, I mean, guys are changing, you know, every couple games if they want to. Sometimes it sounds like a waste, but... Uh, once you've had a few injuries to your hands, it, it starts to make more sense. So it's hard to blame them. You know, you want to be protected, and the puck's only going to keep coming faster. You know, the technology in the sticks is such as it's it's not going anywhere. It's kind of like golf. At a certain point, maybe they're going to have to keep it at a certain uh, certain speed. Or soften the pucks. I don't think they're going to give us that much uh, free reign. Now, do you do you have a PC you remember as a kid? Like other than the stuff you built, like, is there a favorite like set of pads or a mask or what, what jumps out? Yeah, I just kind of laugh. Like, no, I remember when uh, the pro style masks were legal, and then finally they're gonna legalize them. But they approved ones that were 
super heavy and super awkward because they thought that was going to be more protective and uh yeah the, i got a big badger mask but it was the one that was approved so it was like it was so heavy and big and awkward and i was like in i don't know like peewees wearing that thing like and if you thought i was small and skinny when I, you know, at 16 on my license, you know, when I was in peewees, I was definitely small. And so like, I was like wearing a space helmet. So definitely didn't help the vision and it probably slowed me down, but you know, I felt really cool. That was a Christmas present. And that was like the first time it was approved for our age to wear that kind of mask. And, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of funny. Some guys, what I've seen among some of the younger guys, the answer I get to gear questions, you and I could probably talk gear forever, and I've annoyed you many times over the years with lots of questions, but I ask guys now, and they honestly don't know. Now, I might, they must just be smart enough not to engage me and start a long conversation, but a lot of them really don't seem to know. Does that surprise you at all? Yeah, uh, it does surprise me. I mean, it's your livelihood at this point. So it, you, but, I mean, some guys just find something that they get used to, and I, th I think that that's... They've probably been lucky in that regard. Is there's been a couple sets of uh, gear from certain companies that have sustained for a long time and haven't really changed. I mean, you can go back to the kids coming the pro and like the, you know, some of the lines from Vaughn, especially the gloves, and some of the pads, and you know, even now with CCM, like some of the stuff is they just had it so long now that uh, the like the tweaks they make are not so big and, and so revolutionary that it's like changing the pad completely i mean you're saving weight and you're, you know the strappings change like you're saving these little things but you know i, I think that you know they're, they're used to like the, the some of their specs and where like i was i was happy with my equipment for a long time once i kind of found the pads i like but then they they stopped making them completely and probably for good reason they, you know, they weren't efficient to make and they were pretty heavy but that was the old was those old Reebok were those revokes yeah, like almost co-host they're well they're a CCM Heaton that's right but okay. then Heaton name went away and it was just a CCM then it was a Reebok and then it was like back to CCM yeah that pad I wore for like nine or ten years and uh, it's just funny is because I took them apart when they said they were getting rid of them I just took the whole thing apart and I took a brand new pair of pads, a sample pair, and I was like, just send me a sample pair you guys do not ever expect to sell. And I just took them apart and I laid them next to each other. And I was amazed to find the similarities inside. Like, oh, so this is almost the same as that. So it, it kind of helped me in my head be like, okay, that's kind of the same. We just have to get used to some of these newer features. And like, I took everything apart. They couldn't make my glove anymore. They shipped everything over to China and they sent me versions made in China. and. Like, they just didn't have the understanding yet where I feel like now they've had, you know, 10, 15 years of making gear. They kind of get it. So some that gear is not, you know, it's not bad now. But at the time I was trying to get the stuff I knew. It was different foams. It was different plastics. I mean, I put the glove on. I was like, I don't, if I take a shot with this, I might break my hand. So I just got my old glove, took it apart pulled every seam, laid it out against the newer glove, pulled that apart, looked at it, made a bunch of notes. And uh, Brent Woods, who works at Vaughn, would probably kill me for saying this, but like, you know, he's, he's amazing at detail. And he took all those notes, put together a version of equipment, 
and then tested it. I gave him feedback. He changed it, and then the, that's the glove I'm still using. Like we just we got to the point where it felt almost identical to what I was used to, but it had a lot of modern features, and it closed about the same way. And but that's kind of what I the lengths I went to. But I, no one probably would do that now. But like they sold the machines, like they couldn't even make my stuff. Like the, the, I was like, just make them for me. And they're like, no, you know, we, we already sold the machines. We physically cannot make them. So I was like, all right, well, we got to figure it out. We could probably talk about body too. You may be the most knowledgeable guy, at least that I've met that's talked about in terms of how to, you know, right down to like rolling out the bottom of your foot and all these things and uh, uh, fascial release, all that kind of stuff, myofascial release but I've taken up too much of your time. I do want to leave with one more. Um, your dad was resistant. Bodie's four now. Yeah. He's on the ice. Yeah. If he wants to play goal, is that no problem with, with Ryan Miller? Well, I'm going to take the same approach my dad did. He's going to have to skate. He's going to have to play the game. Like my dad's issue was I, you need to play the game and know the game. It's going to help you be a goalie. And at the time, I obviously didn't listen as much but I understood what he was saying later on and um, it wasn't that he didn't want me in the net he was just kind of worried about what a goalie goes through and you always worry about your kids going through hardship but you have to go through things in life that are uncomfortable to you know to grow as a person so if he wants to be a goalie it's going to be a challenge uh, but I feel like I can help him and that would be something that I would enjoy doing with him but on the other side of it I do see him when we play at the house or if we get him out like he he has other instincts too that kind of come out and I, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering which one will win out because he's he's fairly good with his hands and he likes to score and you know, I'm just wondering you know you know, I was, I was born of a, for, or a forward slash later defenseman, so you know it's not like I came from a line of goalies. So you know, who's to say a goalie can't make a forward? So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Ryan, I I, I think your PR guy is going to kill me. Uh, I think we said 10 minutes. We're at 25. I can't thank you enough. Every time we've had a chance to talk over the years, I've learned something. Um, I know the in-goal audience will with this interview as well, but me personally, that your patience and time when you were here in Vancouver for three years, like I said, I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, no problem. I like talking shop, so I can help. He's so calm, so relaxed. Uh, you you kind of you got to pay more attention uh, to what he says, uh, I think, than than a lot of other interviews because things just fly by you. But uh, but Woody, when he says he likes talking shop, he really likes talking shop. Oh, absolutely! It's uh, it's genuine. His passion for the position and the gear and all aspects of it. Um, you know, I can be a bit of a pain in the ass for visiting goaltenders. And for guys that play here, I mean, I'm in there on a daily basis with questions about gear and reads and the position and technique. And if you play here, I can imagine that would get a little bit uh, maddening at times to have to deal with me all the time. And so when he left as a free agent, I, I sent him a note 
And uh, just to say thanks for send him a text, just saying thanks for all the time over the years. And uh, you know, he he sent the response back. He's like, no, you like no need to thank me. Like you were trying to understand the position better. And I wish you know he kind of wishes more people would do that, right? So if you're willing to listen, and like I said, I had to go back many times and listen to his responses to make sure I understood them and then come back a day or two later with a follow-up question because he he does really sort of think it to that level and I'm a little bit of a slow-witted guy myself. So um, he's, it, it's genuine. There's just a, you heard it there. It started at a very young age, the way he thinks the position. And yet interesting that for a guy who is as goalie geeky as Anyone in the league, some of the advice we hear from him echoes what we hear from other people. You still have to be a hockey player. You have to learn how to read the game. Um, you know, we hear talk, other guys and other players talk about, you know, letting letting your kids play forward as long as they can. That's part of that, like reading the game, understanding the game, being a hockey player, not just being stuck in your goaltending bubble. And um, I think Ryan does that while still having an eye on technique and efficiency in a modern game. Um, he likes to dictate. I remember when he came here, he talked about, I still feel within my crease, I should be able to, in some ways, affect what's going on in front of me with other shooters. Uh, my positioning can sort of set them up to make the plays I want them to make based on what I what I give them. And so it's possible. He's less aggressive in how he does it now over the years than he was, say, in his Buffalo days. But it's possible to be that model of efficiency and still bait shooters. Uh, go back to that question that we had Thomas Grice answer about baiting shooters. Like Ryan Miller, for all the modern technique he's added to his world, still will show extra depth when he wants to force a guy to make a path, uh, make a pass. Um, he still does things to sort of set other shooters up to make the play that he would like them to make. And there's a bit of a lost art in that. Making the shooter uncomfortable, it was the phrase that he used that I, that I wrote down, which got me thinking about, uh, about how you dictate the play as a goaltender. A uh, couple of things that I want to throw out at you, and you and I are on the same team when it comes to slow-wittedness. Uh, thank goodness Hutch is, uh, is around us to, to help us out with all the, the things that need to be uh, a little more intelligible. Uh, the ba- biggest thing is reading the game. The game never changes. Uh, another one is is talking about he's aware of his technique, but he wants to have the freedom to be ready to make a play. And another one is you have to just play hockey. It's not always going to be a perfect save situation, so you just have to play hockey. Uh, that that one got me uh, thinking as well. Yeah, again, just for, for a guy who really has increased and improved his efficiency over the past, you know, well, continuously throughout his career, especially since he left Buffalo and got introduced to some different ideas and different voices. Um, not that it was inefficient to start with, just uh, you you can you can improve your technique. You can improve your efficiency without being stuck in it, I guess is the way I would hear all that. You, you still can, like I said, dictate. Um, you can still go outside. Uh, of your of your technical foundation when you need to you can't get locked into anything and um, you know I think for him uh, technical elements can't eliminate the freedom to move and and frankly to be honest with you good tech good technical elements shouldn't do that like you can increase efficiency without being locked in and um, that's why I think some of the things that he did sort of add to his game later here uh, some of the new concepts he was introduced he mentioned Alex Ald uh, some of the sort of modern tracking stuff it really resonated with yeah well it there. resonated with him because 
I think he already did some of it, but also because it was a technical element that maintained all that freedom to move for him. Explain this one. And Hutch, you're you're a massive uh, proponent of the, of puck tracking, uh, so you're you're right on board with this this conversation. But the, what what Ryan Miller what he talked about about puck tracking, and it came naturally to him because of where his eyes are uh, on his head. Is he talking like physically Physic- that his eyes Dear- are? I know, I know this. This is this bizarre thing. I never thought I'd be talking about this, but they're set back in his in his like. Yeah, skull? yeah he's, just, he's just they're set really deep in his, and so his eyes are set deep back, and so um, he's always been a guy that has tracked and followed the play with his head, not with his periphery. Like you still have to look off pucks, you still have to yeah. see what's going on around you. You can't become so puck focused that you're not reading the game. I mean, Ryan Miller reads, but he has to turn his head instead of using the peripheral vision that that somebody else. He always has. And that's because as, as you said, because as, as they discovered, as they're going through this, he'd already done a lot of these things naturally because of how, how sort of deep set his eyes were in his socket. And so for him to see properly, he always understood that he had to move his head uh, as opposed to relying on periphery, letting pucks get underneath his vision. He was very good at keeping his head down over top of the puck. And so for him, it all came quite naturally. But uh, as I said, too, it's focusing on it a little more in certain areas, improved some efficiency of movement um, and, and an ability to sort of stay square and get square and arrive square early uh, without having to change that freedom of movement. Like he had access to his edges and, and the ability to move throughout. It wasn't a, a technical element that locked him up in any way because as you can tell, it's not something he not something he ever would have embraced. And for him, like you said, it's it was already a part of good goaltending in his world. It was already something he did. Hutch, you know there's going to be people measuring their socket depth of their eyes now to see if, if <laughs> whether or not their their peripheral vision's limited. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, the peripheral vision stuff. I, I've been doing some reading around baseball, and, uh, and it turns out that our peripheral vision is actually um, far closer to the center of our line of vision than we all realize. We all imagine that it's that stuff that's about 90 degrees away from us, but... In fact, uh, your eyes can fool you if you're looking at anything outside of about the size of a quarter at arm's length away from you. Um, so anything beyond that, about an inch uh, in the immediate center of your vision, technically becomes peripheral vision. And anything that's got a little rotation on it, a little movement on it, uh, you interpret as moving a lot more than you realize. Uh, but you can, you can only track perfect movement on something when you're staring directly at it through the center of your socket. So it's... Uh, it's really interesting stuff. Well, the I, the good part so be turning your well, head and like, for baseball, it's side to side, right? Like for baseball, it's it's just it's side to side. The difference with hockey is it's coming from the bottom up as well. So the good news is, boys, if we're in good position, every puck's coming at us. It is, and yeah. a baseball player is if you're batting, of course, you're you're almost inevitably using peripheral vision to pick up pick up the ball. Hey, what's the legendary story about Ryan Miller and when he played in Vancouver heading out to uh, the hockey shop in Sorcerer's well, I don't know if it's legendary. We may be sharing this with the public for the first time, but I remember getting a call from the boys down at the shop. You wouldn't believe who came in. Um, just randomly showed up. Uh, I can't remember if the Canucks were on a break or if it was an all-star break or just a weekend or uh, family was out of town and he, he just went to check out the gear and... Because he is who he is, spent a fair bit of time in there and uh, really had all the guys. Like I said, the one thing about the hockey shop, if you work in the goal department, 
you're a goalie. They aren't just pulling people off the street. You're a goalie. You're passionate about the position. You've played it for a long time. That's the expertise that you get when you shop there and shop with them at, at the Hoggy Shop at HoggyShop.com. Not to turn this into an advertorial. But uh, so they were, of course, they were all just geeking out that, that Ryan was in there. And like I said, when he starts to talk specs, you heard the passion. I mean, taking equipment apart right down to its core to see how it works. Um, you know, if he hadn't made it as a goaltender, he probably would have been a gear designer. And he just had them like just wrapped around his finger listening to how he has his gear and his gear specs and evidently spent quite a bit of time in there. Just dropped into like, remember we talked about Darren, how much time do you spend in the shop? Checking out the gloves, checking out the sticks, checking out things. Ryan Miller did that too. Well, someone that was uh, very similar to Ryan Miller in the gear experimentation side of things was Tim Thomas. He was fanatical about uh, playing with his equipment. He almost, well, he seemed to wear a different set or or set up from from game to game, and part of that uh, was his relationship with Pete Smith. Uh, Kevin on another road trip to the HockeyShop.com source for sports in Surrey with Pete Smith's latest invention on the Warrior side of things. As we head back downstairs with Kevin and some gear talk. Back in my favorite place in the world, the Hockey Shop source for sports in Surrey. Back in the basement. A little bit of goalie heaven down here with Cam Matwiv. Um, and this week, we're going to talk a line that he's very familiar with, that he likes very much. Uh, personally, um, the Warrior RGT2 Pro. I guess, actually, I shouldn't say you like this line personally because you're just getting out and testing it now. But I know you're a big Warrior guy, big fan of the product. So let's start with the leg pads. Let's just jump right in, Cam. What... Uh, What's new? What's different? What are you looking forward to in the RGT2 Pro Warrior leg pad? Yeah, so basically uh, tradition, again, sticking along with their what they call tradition redefined, I would say, for, for their first GT line. So the GT2 now, um, what they've done is they've made the pad um, a little bit stiffer up at the top of the thigh rise. Is like the pad kind of, you know, would settle and got quite a bit soft in the older G2 line. So they've added their hypercomp material, which is their hard carbon, um, into the upper thigh portion of the pad. So, so from the from the knee up. That's correct, yeah. So what that will do, A, is provide some more rigidity when you're down in the butterfly, but also some more structure for when pucks are hitting it. You know, that it's not going to push the pad back or anything like that. The pad's going to maintain that uh, structure in the butterfly for well, it. And just let's let's go back. Let's rewind for a second. When you talk about traditional, let's, let's mm -hmm. differentiate between the two lines because we haven't talked about last year's. Um, we were some of the early adopters at Ingol, early testers for the original Ritual lines, but we haven't been on haven't been on top of it for a couple generations here. This is, for lack of a better term, um, the RGT two is their softer flex, more flex, I guess is how we put it, compared to last year's pad, the G4, which is a little bit more of a stiffer profile. Correct, yeah. So, you know, you we keep using that word traditional um, again, but if you look at this pad... It basically means more flexible. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll call it that. Torsionally flexible, that would be the word I'm looking for. Um, so, yeah, on the GT2, um, you're not going to see their air slide technology, which is on their G4. That remains kind of specific for that series of pad. Um, what Warrior finds is, again, with, with this pad, they're trying to pick up more of that guy that is, you know, playing a little bit more active in that sense um so they've removed that air slide off it again to give it that more you know old-fashioned look in that sense um 
overall, uh, in particular, again, already covering the hypercomp in the upper thigh, um, the pad is very torsionally flexible, and that's most evident, especially in the boot area of the pad. Um, when you actually drop down into the butterfly, the stock laces will help to pull the boot of the pad and seal it along the ice, because when you sit in there and lay it flat with no pressure, it leaves a little bit of a gap. So when we talk about torsional flex for goalies that are listening to this and they can't picture it in your mind, to me, that's for, again, for lack of a better term, but in layman's terms, that means twist. Yes. That's flex across the pad, across the face of the pad, side to side versus flex top to bottom. Correct. Correct. So especially when you're on your post reverse VH, things like that, you can have that pad twist on you a little bit rather than being a rock right up against the post. So a pad that's probably, you know, we think of softer, more flexible pads, torsional flexing pads as a pad that maybe designed for goalie who likes to wear things a little tighter. Is that fair to say? And yet, not necessarily. It's not that you have to wear it tighter, but it's kind of designed a lot more connected. Yeah, we're, we're using kind of broad terms a little bit, but Warrior's been able to establish that connection very easily with just their, their basically, we'll call it their two straps. Um, I mean, one of the highlights that they have changed from the GT. Uh, one to the GT2 would be the knee cradle, um, which ties into the strapping in a second here we'll cover, but uh, they've made the knee cradle wider as opposed to the old series, whereas the other one was a little bit too narrow, which caused some guys to slip off the knee cradle. Um, this will create more stability when you're in the butterfly and give you a more solid uh, connection to the pad as well. Okay, walk us through the strapping too. So... They have their sling strap, which is their knee, knee strap, which is carryover from the G3 and also G4 um, and on the GT. So that doesn't change per se. Well, when um, you find something that works, and it sounds like the feedback's been positive on that for you guys, when you find something that works, you stick with it. Correct. And that's the same thing with the leg channel. They're continuing their 360 ActiDrop, they call it, um, which is uh, play off their G4. Um, it just means in terms of where your leg's sitting in the leg channel of the pad, um, it allows it to twist in a little bit more, covering that five hole while you're in your stance adjustability yes um, that's something that we saw you know i think the warrior line especially uh with the palms and the gloves we we saw a lot of you know we highlighted that in the original ritual uh, the second generation ritual that ability to sort of adjust things was at another level mm -hmm. for this equipment Where's the adjustability in the pads on this one? So that all remains, and it's some of the similar features that you've seen before. So, for example, the knee cradle wrap, um, you can adjust it in to get a little bit of a tighter fit. You can bring that out a little bit more to get a little looser, or just take it off completely and go down behind your calf for the knee strap. Um, taking it down to the boot of the pad. It comes stock with laces. Again, Warrior does this on purpose for the torsional flex of the boot. However, you do get a pack of uh, toe ties for the bungees, like you see in the G4, that you can slide in and put on and take the lace is out. Um, same with the bootstrap setup. It is their similar bungee, which you've seen on their previous pads. Adjustable. Don't like it. Take it off. Very easy. Nice. A lot of adjustability. Something we've always loved and, and, and unique in the way they do it. We've been big fans of Pete Smith for a long time here at Ingold. Like I said, despite not having tested the last couple generations. Uh, big fans of him as a designer for years. And we, we see sort of some of those innovations uh, continue in terms of not just that it's adjustable, but how it's adjustable. Some unique features there, so that's nice. Let's continue into the gloves. Um, the catching mitt, for sure. Uh, a change in terms of adjustability, though. You don't have the removable palms on this one, but walk us through the other changes on the uh, RGT2 
catching glove. Correct. So first thing definitely is worth noting. It, it, it's not like the GT glove in the past. So this is going to feel a little bit closer to the G4. It's not quite the exact same as the thumb angle is a little bit different. And same thing with the, the palm in terms of the way the fingers close, but it won't be like the GT. Um, the glove itself, when you go to go seal, as you close the glove, as you can see on, in a review that we have up online, um, it seals tightly. It doesn't have any curve to it. Um, the break inside the palm, they consider it like a 75, but say, for example, you were ordering custom, you do have the ability to order it with a 60, uh, 75 or 90 degree palm, um, similar to what you find in the G4. However, all the GT series, including the pro, the senior non-removable palm. So it's stock, it's sewn in there, give you again, go back to that traditional word, uh, feel, um, out of the glove, um, a little bit closer to what you'd see in, you know, other companies, for example close your pocket i remember when we did the that ritual g2 and they sort of got a little more mechanical with the closure in the glove and i mean we loved how well it closed how quickly it closed out of the box with some of those features has this got a little more of a traditional feel to it compared to that i i would say so it's a little bit closer stock you're gonna see double t's up on the wall uh like me personally i prefer single t and that's actually what i've ordered for myself um that's again one of the things they went to improve on from the old gt um with rgt2 the pocket area is actually bigger so there's more depth to the glove in terms of the catching surface of it so again a little bit more focused on on, you know snaring those pucks rather than knocking them down blocker uh, as we switch there again lots of adjustability including the palm which makes it replaceable so if you wear it out you can get a new one which if you play a lot um, and blockers tend to be a durable piece uh, can become problematic not the case here you can replace it if it wears out uh, and like i said lots of adjustability just walk us through the rgt2 pro blocker Correct. So the blocker itself kind of maintains that feel that uh, Warriors already produced with their blockers. The board itself is a little bit thicker. So they've added, uh, again, a bit more of a durability feature for that. Um, that features their hypercomp material and their whole front face of the blocker itself to get that good punch that you're kind of looking for. And I guess, as you alluded to uh, before, the palm is removable on this. So unlike the trapper, um, you can adjust it up or down to really find your fit that you're looking for. And yeah, take it out and wash it. That's one of the best features of it for sure. So no stinky mitts. That's that's the goal. And the thing I liked in terms of not only is it removable uh, for replacement and washing and all those good things, uh, but you can adjust it in terms of where the hand position is relative to the face of the block or move it up or down a little bit. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, like we alluded to there before, it's, it's a fairly simple process. It takes two minutes to change. All right. So that's the RGT2 by Pete Smith and Warrior. And as always, as this is, we continue through sort of the new lines of spring that are coming out. Um, that means that the RGT one or the original, I guess, no one, just the RGT is going to be on sale. Sounds like five hundred dollars off for leg pads on what you've got remaining stock at the hockeyshop.com, hockey shop source for sports here in Surrey. Um, so new stuff on the wall means sale stuff's got to go too. Exactly. Um, what uh, what about? There's a review online at thehockeyshop.com. Custom orders, are you taking them now? Or when are we going to see this on the wall? When are custom orders available? How can people get their hands on this? So the gear will be on the wall within the next couple of weeks. We are taking custom orders for our GTD2 as of now. Um, the customizer is live on the Warriors website. So basically you can just head on over to, I think it's just www.warhockey.com. Um, and you can check out uh, their customizer and design your own set. Perfect. Cam, thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you. I have to check out this basement, man cave, goalie cave. That, 
That's a new name for it uh, for me is the goalie cave down there with uh, with Cam. So, Woody, uh, just uh, I mentioned Pete Smith and, and listening to you and Cam and bringing up Pete Smith, it got me thinking maybe not everybody knows who Pete Smith is and the relationship. Well, with quick, quick aside, the basement, check the social media this week, check the Instagram. I've got a little 30 second video that'll show people, uh, what that basement is like. I actually had some Russian goaltenders in town this week, uh, uh, with a coach working with Ian Clark and they weren't able to make it out. I showed them the video on the last day and they were uh, like, just showed them this video I had on my phone of what that basement was like. And they were like, they were kind of bitter that they didn't get out there. So I'll make every, I'll make That's everyone mean. else bitter too. We were working on getting them there. It didn't happen. Um, yeah, you know, Pete Smith, obviously, if you're a gear geek, you know the company Smith. That was him. Uh, his history goes well beyond that. Uh, he's kind of like Ryan Miller, frankly. You know, like I remember uh, early in his days with Warrior, him telling us stories about, you know, creating gear and making gear in his apartment. Um, some of the early things he used to used to work on, work with Vaughn in the early days before starting his own company. And then Warrior bought that company and had him build their line for him. There were certainly some aspects of the Smith gear uh, that you could see in that early Warrior ritual line uh, that, that we reviewed. We did the first two, Ritual and Ritual 2. Um, just... Uh, he does some different things. He's he's changed equipment in several aspects by building it in different ways. So he's a fascinating guy. Um, and if you ch- check it out, if you want more background, it's a little outdated. I think 2014 we did it. Um, but before we get to listener questions, we have an Ask a Pro segment, a sort of Q&A that we did with Pete Smith that you can find on the website at ingolmag.com if you do, if you do a little search on it. Uh, maybe we'll even pull that one up to the homepage, Hutch, so people can can get familiar with Pete Smith. And he's a fascinating guy uh, who will probably have to get on the podcast here one day uh, just to talk about gear and his history in the game because he's seen it through many iterations, started back in the day when they were probably still stuffing pads. And now he's you know one of the guys who's leading a charge into new innovative ways to build it. Yeah, some really interesting stuff. Did you see what just that. happened there? Sorry, just some really interesting stuff in that Ask a Pro. So do, so do go check it out. I mean, we asked... One of our readers asked Pete what his greatest contribution to uh, to gear was, and he said the modern-day knee lift and goes to explain where that came from. Uh, another innovation he talks about is the bindingless design and uh, when he created that. So I, I think you'd find some really interesting answers in there if you go check it out. And I think the one thing, I, you know, on this this new gear, um, I found interesting, and, and uh, we didn't we didn't address it when we were talking with Cam. I meant to and forgot. We'll have to move off to ask Pete. You know, really two distinct lines for them, one sort of modern and this one going for a traditional, more flexible feel, as I mentioned in the interview. But their answer to better sliding in the G4 line was something they called the air slide. And so instead of material, we've seen Brian's with the really hard surface in the new material. Sorry, Bauer with the hard surface in the new material. Brian's with the OptiSlide uh, with Primo. Vaughn's got their quick slide we talked about last week, which looks like Primo, and they say it's got an extra layer. Like all these companies have come up with new materials. They actually sort of their air slide actually created sort of pockets where the material's not touching the ice to try and improve the sliding in the G4. But it's not in the RGT2 line. They didn't transfer that over, that faster slide. And I guess the uh, the reasoning would be 
something that modern or that different doesn't really appeal to that people wanting that traditional soft flex. But I kind of found it interesting, kind of opposite of the way Bauer's gone, right? Bauer tried to create a soft, flexible 2X Pro Pad, but with all the modern features, fast sliding and active rebounds, uh, sorry, uh, Warriors really gone traditional the whole way. Um, and, and they didn't add sort of that modern element to their traditional pad. So two different approaches and uh, just something to keep in mind when you're trying to pick a pad for yourself this spring. Yeah, great options for for everybody, one way or the the other. Time for listener questions, and we're going uh, down three different paths today, and starting with Woody and a a question that uh, is sort of on the uh, preparing side of things. Yeah, we got uh, we got a question here from Bruce. Didn't give us a, a last name on the email, but Bruce in it looks like Toronto or the suburbs there um, about books uh, and probably a good question for a guy like Freddie Anderson, who you know we've talked about in the past in his interview, leaves no stone unturned. He's always looking for ways to get better. So we asked him about books that he had read to sort of help him with the mental game or help him prepare. And, and Freddie had a pretty good, pretty good answer for us, and one I think people want to check out. Did you read Rise of Superman? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I actually read that a, a while ago back in Anaheim, and it was. Uh, it was a very mind-opening, but also in a way confirming in some of the stuff that you already do, and it's really interesting once you start like learning from other people and and really learning that you're you might be on the right way in the on the right track already, and and it's a nice uh, reassuring thing sometimes if you if you read uh, if you read about people's work that are that are really research their stuff and, and, and have similar experiences as, as you do. So that, that's another good book uh, I'd definitely recommend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, really the main thing about the book is to try to get into flow state. And I think as a goal, you, you call it uh, being in the zone or um, playing out of your mind, basically. So you don't, you don't think, you just, you just play and you just, uh, yeah, you see the puck, stir up the puck. Uh, as as you're talking to him, I'm flashing back to last week's episode where Woody admitted that he hadn't read a book in like 35 years. And Hutch Hutch is on Twitter talking about the seven books that have influenced his life, and you've probably read them all in six days. So two two very different approaches to the uh, to the mind here on hey, the In Goal Radio. Listen, I read them in six days, but it was also probably 10 years ago. So uh, fair enough. And listen, in my defense, I have I've got two daughters, you know, now aged. 15 and 11. So I read books. They just all happened to be short with lots of pictures and I was reading them at nighttime. So it would have been like a, it would have been like a children's book festival. I'm a big fan of the Scaredy Squirrel series. <laughs> That's me every time I play <laughs> Scaredy Squirrel. Uh, skates, a uh, listener question going down the, uh, the uh, area of, uh, of what you put in their feet and the advancements there. Yeah, right? no, we had uh, Madeline in Minnesota, Madeline Rogers, uh, if I'm, yeah, Madeline Rogers in Minnesota sent us an email asking us about, we did the CCM FTT2 skates, FT2 skates. I have trouble saying that. Uh, fortunately, they perform better than I make them sound. Uh, and she asked if anybody in the NHL was wearing them yet. And we talked a little bit about it. Marc-Andre Fleury has um, the AS1 boot, but he's got the old sort of 
partial cowling on it. The only guy that we've seen so far, and we know there's a bunch that have ordered them and have them coming, but the only guy to adopt early so far with the new XSG holder, the no cowling holder, is Merrick Mazanic. And as luck would have it, I consider it good karma for me. Uh, he happened to be with Vancouver for all of about a week, and we had a chance to sit down and he explained to us what he liked about it. So there's your answer. Merrick Mazanic is the first one in the XSG no cowling CCM holder, and he's going to share his thoughts about what he likes with it. Madeline. You're the first guy in the show with those holders for a goalie. The new uh, the new CCM holders. Really? Yes. How do you, how do you like I absolutely love it. It's, uh, what about it? I mean, it's still higher. Do you, how do you do you get your sharpened inside edge high or? Yeah, I do. I do inside higher. Have you always done that, or is that a, you uh, that Yeah, I've been, I've been doing that for like ten years. Okay, Hank I, th- I think guys I, that I know that. Uh, like, you yeah. learned that from me, I think. Do you throw uh, in before? What's that? Throw in before for skates? Uh, the the VAs are true. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you and you like those? I like did you, did you I like them, the, but they were too heavy. But good skates too, like really. Yeah. But these were much lighter. Really? So I just okay. decided to jump into those, and I like them. Did you go through the full custom process, like, like the yeah. fitting? Yeah, yeah. I, I I wear the trues, and uh, interesting. I I don't they don't feel any heavier, but I know that there is a a, a weight difference. Well, minor VH uh, before the, before True adopted it, they just feel like slippers. So all of this stuff about fully customization, that's where I buy in, especially if you're on the ice in summer at camps. If you're a goalie coach, it might be more important for a goalie coach, Hutch, uh, somebody that's running camps, than, than the actual goalie themselves oh, to have these these new customized skates. Seriously, we've seen coaches lining up to get scanned for skates when they when they talk to another coach about how comfortable their custom boots are. That's true. They co- uh, they come into the pro yeah, camps see- to fit the pros, and all the coaches line up to get fit for the same type of feel. And think about it, guys. Why do you think it's most common to have the old like? Nobody wears the old graph outside of Carrie's cowling. Nobody wears the old graph as much as old coaches. They're, they're just a softer, softer boot. Yeah, just more. Slippers. Yeah, and I will say we have the new CCM coming for us on a custom fit basis. So we're going to walk everyone through the complete uh, process of custom and what that's like and how it feels in the coming weeks. It was it was eerie when you were talking about those skates a couple of weeks ago and your the foot molds lying out back uh, be, behind the back door like when you painted that picture it's not exactly how it goes but that's, that that image that you when they, that you set up was just goofy. when they had we were in Montreal and when they explained what how they were going to do this I don't know why I went to that but all I could picture was this yeah. mountain of old feet piled up in the back of a warehouse <laughs> but I guess they don't get piled up like that because in case you need new skates they keep them on file so it's actually going to be storage full of these fake feet yeah i mean somebody's gonna have i'm gonna give some poor kid nightmares forget scaredy squirrel well or somebody's gonna put one in their mouth uh which we do normally on this uh on this foot in mouth i like hutch let's get you in uh on a listener question well we've often talked about how patience is really important in in goaltending and so one of our readers wrote in and said that he'd played golf with you darren and so i'm guessing he's a very patient goaltender as well uh, Tyler and Not nice. yeah, Tyler and Berkeley from Saskatoon would like to know what is one rule you guys would like changed or added concerning the goaltender position that you think would make the game better or more exciting to watch. Could be anything they said. So, Darren, how about you start? 
I, I know Tyler uh, really well, and that's a father-son goaltending tandem. So much like you, Hutch, uh, a father-son. So I think that is really cool when when dads and I see these pictures of of you and your son and Tyler and, and his son, and it's, uh, that gets to me. But uh, you know what? I'd like to see changed just just a pure experimental side of things is not being able to freeze the puck unless you catch it. Just just to try it. I for to keep the game moving. I know everybody's going to like think I'm completely nuts, but I just like to see that uh so you, if you go down you can't freeze the puck on the ice. That's that's one thing I'd like to see. Masochist. We're going to be union busters here today, I think. <laughs> Your card has been removed. Cuz cuz I've got one that might might upset the union as well. Look, the the easy answer to this I think probably for every goaltender is get rid of the trapezoid. And uh, we, we'd probably all love to see that so that we can all handle the puck even more. However, uh, if, if I were to go away from the easy answer, I think that uh, any puck that goes up into the netting uh, should remain in play. Um, I don't see why it's different whether it hits netting or it hits glass. Uh, just keep it in play and that will uh, enable scoring to go up in the game without us taking anything away from the goaltenders, save for the ability to just ramp a puck up into the netting to get a stoppage of play. So there's my union Hutch. busting rule change. I play in a league that does that. It's uh, the two-thirds, the three-on-three rinks, those min- the smaller rinks, yep. and it's awesome. I love it, and it drives me crazy during pickup games when the puck goes off the netting and everybody stops and there's a change of possession and, and you reset. Just keep going. I, I, I absolutely agree with you uh, that that should be, and the netting's high enough that uh, people aren't going to be in any danger. I I am fully on board with that. Uh, what do you think? I think you, I'm taking union buster. I think I'm taking both your union cards away, and they're going to hand them over to me because I'm fully on the side of goaltending safety, and I'm going to go hard line because I have to walk into the room and talk to these guys on a regular basis. Why is that a safety issue? I, listen, I need a break. I play in a league where we don't have a trapezoid, and my beer league team doesn't want me going anywhere near the puck out in the corners. Let me tell you that. And when that puck goes into the mash, yeah. I need a sip of water because I'm freaking tired because I'm old and I'm out of shape. Forget that's safety. It's safety because nobody wants to go have to find the defib like in those those three on three games that never stop. You never get a whistle. You're right. I'm saying just go go back what? to calling goalie interference by the letter of the law. Um, I think as much as I predicted accurately, I may add that they were going to lose a ton of goals uh, early in that process. Um, and probably not surprising that they went the other way and started allowing more contact because they were tired of losing goals and got a little looser with the rules. Um, I think that's why you're seeing more contact in the crease, seeing more guys get run over, seeing guys go in there with reckless abandon. And so I'm going full goalie union card. I'm going to say call it like it was meant to be called, and we won't have guys getting run. We won't have contact in the crease like we have right now. I'm not saying there's I, – I guess I'm being a little bit soft, admittedly, but I just think it's a no, slippery I, slope. I think you got a yeah, point like there. We've gone you, too far uh, the other way. There's goalie interference. Well, there's goalie interference when it comes to uh, traffic and battling, and then there's like the basketball charge uh, where, where they're just taking the puck too hard at the net uh, with reckless abandon, and that's the part that uh, that I agree that needs to be really examined. And I think that goes beyond Kevin's Kevin's idea, really, because according to the letter of the law, if you're carrying the puck, you can go right through the goaltender, can't you? And uh, we need some way to 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 deal with that because somebody is going to get hurt soon if we don't come up with something um that that actually to be fair would really be my answer i just don't know what that rule would be 
Uh, I don't know how we can regulate that and take away without taking away from the, the, the game as it is today, but we have to increase safety for goaltenders in that respect for sure. Such a suck up right back to trying to get your card in your pocket. Well, I just, That's all you were doing I, I'm there. Just, I'm just trying to defend all the guys in Surrey, BC from seeing Woody go snaptastic because we know that's happened so many times. <laughs> okay, so quick Woody snaptastic story. Not that I'm like this anymore. I was once tossed out of a league forever. It wasn't a suspension. I was told I was never going to be allowed to play for absolutely, and this was an ignorant thing by me for absolutely hammering like raining fists on a guy with a blocker um, in a crease collision just happened to have a video running on my crease because we were reviewing a new set of gear I think this dates this is how long ago it is and how much I've changed it dates back to the original Brian Sub-Zero and the video caught him skating through the crease at full speed and throwing out like way out of his way chicken wing right into my ear as he went by like basically just complete blindside headshot which sent me into snaptastic mode so i managed to get my lifetime ban reduced to a 10 game suspension the power of gear reviews and video but i must admit as a guy who has had concussion problems pretty ignorant to be mad about getting in hit in the head by hitting another guy in the head on my part will that video be available at ingolmag.com this week kevin that that video has been locked down where it was used for the review and i buried the footage when you say you're going back in time for a goalie review i thought it was for the cooper durasoft i'm not that might be hutch i'm not that old i'm older than that i'm older than that <laughs> Remember, hey Hutch, remember at goalie school and and you'd kneel down uh, to listen to a drill and it'd be at the start of the practice and then the kids with the Durasoft would get up and half their the covering of their pad would stay on the ice <laughs> because it was frozen. Uh, there was a minor flaw in the uh, Durasoft there. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks to uh, Cam over at uh, thehockeyshop.com and the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, uh, Ryan Miller. Please, everybody, click on our rating chart on iTunes. Five stars will get you our gratitude. And the more stars we get, the bigger this podcast becomes and the more irritated defensemen get that goalies are becoming power brokers in the game. It's, it's a win-win. And our sincerest appreciation for, uh, for helping us from, from, from this side to you. Uh, for Kevin and David and the group uh, in the blue paint who supply the keyboard music off the start and the end, I'm Darren Millard. Please be aggressive with your feet and calm between your ears, Woody. For everything else in goaltending, go to hockeyshop.com. Gear. Fantastic. Have a great week, everybody.